90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Uh, doing pretty well. How about yourself? Not too bad. Uh, as, as you're listening to this, I am actually in Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, is there supposed to be any crazy snowstorms? Are you in the middle of a crazy snowstorm, do you think? Uh, the day that this show should air currently is forecast to have snow, yes. Awesome. <laughs> um, well, good luck. So prepare for a giant, you know, air travel shutdown. Exactly. Over the Midwest and Northeast. Uh, there's not like much to shut down anymore, right? Like, It's true. Mm-hmm. The, the flight options going into State College were so limited. I mean, they, they were limited before, and now it was like, well, you can arrive Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> there's a flight each day. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. Um, yeah. You said the last time you flew, it was still really empty, though, right? The last time I flew, which was out to Nevada, uh, yeah, I went through, I think I went through O'Hare on that one. Oh, okay. And it was creepy empty. Ooh. Ooh. That's a creepy airport, like, infrastructure looking anyways to me. I can't imagine it empty. That seems like it would be even scarier, so. Though I think travel has picked up some since then. That was a couple months now. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm not wild about traveling in the post-holiday time. Yeah. Yep. But, unfortunately, this is this is just when it had to happen. <sighs> you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, yep. Yeah. I'm still, uh, my preschool routine is still cutting up limbs from our ice storm in October. So, I, uh, I've been chainsawing quite a bit. So, I'm ready for the zombie apocalypse is my point. <laughs> <laughs> very nice yeah i'm getting real good with it <laughs> but well so this week we're going to do sort of the it's not really part two to last week's show part no. b um yes it's it's related it's yeah, not I'm the try- same I'm but it's related to think it's not it's not an appendix to last week's show they could both be appendices really Right. Um, But the alliteration makes them said together all the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So we're going to talk about permeability of materials this week. So last week we talked about holes, and this week we're going to talk about tunnels. (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. (laughs) And I love that the word porosity is in the definition of permeability. (laughs) Uh, uh. It's a measure of the ability of a porous material to allow fluid to pass through it. <laughs> there you go. Um, and so fun paper? What? Fun paper now, right? That's, yeah. yeah. That's all we've got. Exactly. I mean, I was just going to say that porosity and permeability don't always track together. Now I'm ready for the fun paper. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Um, it's, it, this is one of those things that, and I said this last week too, but it's even more so with permeability, I think. It's something that we throw these words around and don't realize how confusing these things could be for people who haven't heard them or deal with them at the near daily basis we did. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I trick students all the time, not meaning to, 
on tests with these two words. Um, because I think if people imagine if something is porous, well, then fluid will flow through it. But that's not true. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, it's all about the connectivity of those pores. Right. So you can have a bunch of holes, but that doesn't mean stuff's going to flow through it. I mean, you can think about Swiss cheese, really. <laughs> think about concrete with air bubbles in it. You know, somebody comes and pours your patio and doesn't vibrate the air bubbles out. The rain still's not going to go through it. <laughs> it's just one day it's going to crumble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that a personal experience we're speaking of? As personal experience of not a patio, but a very small uh, concrete endeavor that didn't go so well. Ah, okay. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, Swiss cheese. Maybe more people have experience with that. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> um, definitely me. Uh, yeah. So just because something has these void spaces, it doesn't mean the void spaces are connected. And that's why these two things are both, you know, fundamental attributes of rocks and they have to be measured very separately and they mean very different things. Yes. And they have very different units. Yes. So porosity, we said last week, is unitless and it's either between zero and one or zero and a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. I know. It's like percents a unit, right? Yep. Mm. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So permeability. Mm-hmm. I always talk about permeability in terms of meters squared. <laughs> and I always talk about it in terms of Darcy's. And one of those is a real unit. <laughs> and the other one is used by everyone else. <laughs> right. Um, go ahead. <laughs> All right. So the Darcy is 10 to the minus 12 meters squared. So it's a little bitty. It's a little bitty. So then people further confuse the issue mm-hmm. and put a metric prefix on a non-standard unit and talk about <laughs> millidarcies. <laughs> I love it. I love how angry this is going to make you. I knew it. I was excited, looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> because, okay, so... As you can imagine, in the oil industry, we're very interested in how permeable rocks are. And this is what we say. You talk about Darcy's and Millidarcy's if you're talking about shales or something like that. But that's it. <laughs> like, you never say. If you said meters squared to a person, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. Nor does, anyone, nor does anyone know that conversion. <laughs> or definition. It's not a conversion. The definition yeah, so, which is crazy because it's it's really just I know <laughs> a scale factor exactly. <laughs> it cracks me up though. <laughs> yeah, so I would commonly talk about it and say, well, this has a this has permeability of about you know, two point nine two times ten to the minus fifteen. Everybody go, oh, that's pretty porous. Uh, <laughs> in the lab, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, ten, 10 to the minus nineteen. Not so porous. <laughs> I mean, that's so funny to think about. Um, I don't know. You think about a straw. I always think of, because this looks like how they're drawn. So if 
the draw it, it's a drawing in every textbook about permeability and they always just look like these straws connecting the pore spaces you know and it's like it's not like a straw <laughs> no it's so tiny and it is so um circuitous usually in a rock it's not just these super straight pathways that connect those big spaces in between grains and rock mechanicists will talk about how torturous the pathway is. Yeah, that was the word. I couldn't I couldn't think of it. The tortuosity. Tortuosity of the pathways, yes. I love it. <laughs> that makes me very happy. Because, you know, if you want to talk about units that don't exist, but we'll Yes. <laughs> we'll save that for another day. Oh no. <laughs> I was hoping to bait you with that one. And then I couldn't remember <laughs> the word. Um, okay, I won't I won't get excited about how we measure this yet but um hopefully i don't know have we provided a good enough definition of what permeability is i think so and i just want to also preface it by you know we talked about there are lots of different types of porosity last week Mm -hmm. Uh, permeability is different based on just about everything Uh, are you talking about just for rocks or different for every media well, is it, uh, yeah, w- what exact sandstone do you have? Yes. What are you flowing through it? Mm-hmm. Is it water? Is it brine? Is it gas? Is it mixed phase? Mm-hmm. It's all dependent. <sighs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's a lot of things that go into <laughs> the flow of all of the, you know, you think about it, if you're trying to flow a, a crude oil, through a tortuous <laughs> pathway, mm-hmm. yeah. it's not going to go nearly as fast as water would, mm-hmm. which is not going to go nearly as fast as natural gas would. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's weird to me that it, it's very chemically dependent. You know, I like to keep physics and chemistry different is all I'm saying. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, you know, they're really the chemistry depends on physics and physics is just applied math. Yes. That is true. Hate <laughs> mail goes to. <laughs> um, before we go into that, I just want to say one more thing about this permeability and porosity, um, maybe as a segue into it. So when we talk about percentages of porosity, right, just because something has high porosity, it does not mean it has high permeability. And I think that's no. very hard it's a very hard concept until you look at a lot of rocks or a lot of thin sections or something like that. So you can have a lot of space, but you can still not flow anything through it. Or you could have not many spaces, but through some manufacturing process, they could all be little straws. <laughs> so the water just pours through it. Exactly. But it's mostly solid. It seems so counterintuitive, <laughs> but both of those cases exist. Um, in terms of a rock... Something that has high porosity and low permeability would be like a basalt. So lava rocks that you would have in your garden, go out and look at them. They've got tons of holes. Every one of those holes was where a little gas bubble was, but they're not connected. Right. And so, you know, you can't flow water through it, even though it could hold a lot. Right. And I will say, I mean, you know, pretty much everything is permeable to some extent. Right. Mm -hmm. But it might be not enough to matter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on any realistic time scale. 
<laughs> I love it that 10 to the minus 12 definitely matters, but 10 to the minus, you know, 19 doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you, when you're doing the test, which we'll get to, and you're trying to do a flow-through test on something that's not very permeable, <laughs> it matters. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, that is. Re- remind me true. to talk about the uh, experiment that had everybody ready to kill me. And... Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't yeah. wait now. <laughs> um, okay, so how do we figure out porosity? We talked about how you figure out how much that is. Um, permeability is a little bit different, but my favorite thing to do with rocks, not that I get to do this a bunch because I'm not an engineer, thank God. Um, <laughs> one of the things that our petroleum engineers do, though, this is super cool. They have this really fancy $10 million microscope that will you get a cube of rock and you can look at all its pores like we talked about a ct scan of it last time so this microscope scans it and then what it does is it ion mills the face so it takes off a super tiny nanometer layer of the rock with an ion mill and then it looks at that and then it keeps going and as you mill down through there you can see that permeability pathway and see how those little connections are made in that rock. And it is so cool. It is very cool. I have never done that. Oh, it's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty fancy. It's super fancy, but we're not allowed to play with a lot because $10 million microscope. Right. (laughs) Um, I have seen the ion mill in action where, you just like a separate ion mill. So you've got your cube or your piece of rock or whatever. And then you like mill off a layer. Then you take another picture under the SEM. Then you get it out and you do it again. <laughs> and you take another picture. And it's sort of a poor man's uh, <laughs> tortuosity measurements. Right. <laughs> so that's um, that's my favorite thing about permeability is looking at these rocks in, um, in that instance. Because these shales that we produce a lot of oil and gas in now. They don't have much permeability, but it's enough that you can still produce stuff out of. So that's why they have to take these really high-powered microscopes to see those little straws that are that are in there. Yeah. Yeah. So the way the rest of us measure it <laughs> uh, <laughs> is what well, we can do a few different types of tests. The fundamental thing behind it, though, is something called Darcy's Law, which, as you would guess, is related to the unit Darcy, uh, is related to the person that did a lot of this work, which was Henry Darcy. Exactly. And this is um, math that if you're scared of, then you don't need to be a hydrologist or a hydrogeologist, because this is a lot of what they do. And it's also math that you don't need to be scared of. Yes, that is correct. It's pretty easy, right? So the permeability, mm-hmm. you take the fluid velocity through the medium, mm-hmm. multiply it by the viscosity of that fluid. Yep, makes sense. Multiply it by how thick of a thing you're measuring it flow through, mm-hmm. and divide it by the pressure difference at the top and the bottom of that sample. This sounds like... Something that you have the equipment to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can do all kinds of little tests, uh, relatively straightforward even, with 
almost home equipment uh, mm-hmm. on like a, a soil sample. Right. Okay. With rocks, you've got to put a little bit more oomph behind it. Yeah. Uh, but really what we're doing is the test that I did the most common commonly was a, uh, a differential pressure constant head test. Okay. So I would put the sample in the machine. I would apply, oh, let's say a megapascal of fluid pressure to one end and a half a megapascal of fluid pressure to the other end. All right. So just like air, water's going to flow from high to low pressure. Yes. Now, I will mention this was in a confined environment. Yes. I was squeezing the rock <laughs> because if you apply high fluid pressures that are beyond the strength of the sample Boom. and you're not confining it, it just blows apart. Yeah, that's fracking. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But with soils, you need, you know, a piece of PVC. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, a lot of environmental folks, they have this, uh, it's called a falling head permeometer, which we'll get to, but it's pretty much a pipe you stick in the ground and fill it up with water, and then you measure how long it takes for the water to leave. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the one I've seen. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So... But anyway, in the lab, you you put this difference in pressure on, and fluid will start going into the rock from the high-pressure pump, and eventually it will start coming out of the rock at the low-pressure pump. And if you don't have a leak, the slope of the volume in each pump will be equal and opposite, because mass is conserved. Right. And once that happens, you're at steady state, you measure that slope, and generally something like cubic millimeters per hour. Okay. And you can, therefore, knowing the area of your sample, calculate the velocity. Mm-hmm. We know the viscosity of water very, very well. <laughs> yep. We know the pressure difference because we're applying it, mm-hmm. and we know the sample length because we can measure it. That's, and boom. That's a lovely plug-and-chug empirical formula there. Oh, it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it works very well. It's incredibly reproducible that's nice yep so another way would be this falling head test where you're not holding the pressure constant Uh, you put a column of water on top of the sample and then you let that or a a pressure Uh at one end of the sample and then you let that dissipate so the head is changing as the fluid flows into the sample. Mm-hmm. The math's a little different, but it's still pretty much plug and chug. Yeah. And that's a much cheaper contraption than the either of the two we were talking about. <laughs> the other thing you can do, and this is back in sort of the lab setup, is uh, you can send a pulse. So you can pulse the pressure on one end of the rock. And watch that pulse very slowly travel through the rock to the other pump. Ooh. So why would you... What are the circumstances that you would do that over your first experimental setup? Uh, Besides being cooler. (laughs) Well, you can... So you can do that or you can even do... um, Apply different perturbations like confining and that sort of... The goal is for low permeability samples to not have to wait for set steady state. Ah, Okay. Gotcha. So, uh, about steady state. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. We only had three, 
three or four functioning pressure ve- pressure vessels to do experiments like this in. Okay. What size? When I was in of, grad school. What size of sample are we talking about? Oh, 25 millimeters in diameter and maybe 50 long. Okay. So relatively small. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some glacial till, and I had this really cool idea about how tidal stresses from the ice getting flexed by the gravitational tide are compacting the till and making it less permeable, and that does all kinds of fun things to the subglacial hydrology. Oh, all right. Awesome. Um, the idea worked, so that was cool. But I wanted to simulate it in the lab. Okay. <laughs> You've got to... <laughs> these, these processes are like compaction of the material. It happens yeah. on real time. Right? Like if if you apply a load, it's going to take a while to compact and get to steady state. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I had to apply simulated tidal loading in real time. (laughs) Uh, Did you have to babysit it? So you had to. Oh, no. Oh, no. I wrote software. Come on. (laughs) Of course you did. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So this, you know, at least one day experiment. (laughs) Oh. No, no, I'm I, I'm interested in tidal loading influencing. I want to see what the steady are. state of the till is. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and as it turns out, it also becomes pretty impermeable. So each of my permeability tests would take something like a day to get to steady state oh, flow. Oh my gosh! Uh, so, so I would do some tidal loading and then test permeability for a day, and then do some tidal loading and test permeability for a day, and so on. So it's still going. Is that is that why you're going back to Pennsylvania is to check on this? <laughs> right. Um, I I'd have to go look at the paper. Oh no! It was somewhere between seventy five and a hundred days. Oh my gosh! While everybody else is waiting to use these well, pressure vessels, <laughs> when I finally got kicked out of the pressure vessel. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> That's awesome. And it involved such exciting things as during that time, the physical plant decided to turn the building power off and a mad like one o'clock in the morning dash up to the building <laughs> to try to shut valves on pumps before the power came back on. And Oh my goodness. <laughs> Only one time? That's impressive. Yeah, but we had uh, real time tidal loading, which was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> That's actually super neat. And then you put everyone's name on it, on that paper, just so, just because you made them all wait for that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's awesome. That's super cool. So yeah, you can, and and that's what we do a lot of times in these tests is we will, we measure the permeability of the sample. We measure the porosity of the sample before we put it in the machine. And then we'll squeeze it harder and we'll say, okay, now what was, what would the sample be like if it was buried a kilometer and a half down? So we'll squeeze it harder. And when you squeeze it harder, it compacts some and fluid squirts out, right? Right. Well, based on the volume of fluid that squirts out, I now know my new porosity. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now I can open the valves and do my permeability test. That's cool. And then I close one of the pumps off. Squeeze it again, measure how much squirts out, and we just keep repeating this process until somebody kicks you out. <laughs> oh, that's great. I mean, how how much did your permeability change in 100 days? Oh, orders of magnitude. Oh, okay. All right. That's what I would have guessed. I so Yeah. And you could, so for folks that were working with uh, sandstones in our lab, mm-hmm. 
they could put a sample in in the morning, have six different pressure steps, and be home by 6 p.m. <laughs> and you said, oh, here's my baking flour. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Hmm. Interesting. And also, these samples were at very low in-situ stresses, so I couldn't use much delta pressure to flow the water through them. Mm-hmm. Right. Which meant slow flow. Mm-hmm. And 100 days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> those are the ways that I know. I mean, there are probably lots of other ways to do it, but those are the ways that I have experienced measuring permeability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I, that is all I know about, too, because usually we just take our rock and we send it off to somebody that does that. <laughs> and yeah. then we get it so back got, with this number. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got constant head, falling head, and pulse decay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, here's where things start getting muddier. Oh, was that a, was that a permeability joke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, hydraulic conductivity. <sighs> okay. So permeability, we normally write it as a little K. Mm-hmm. Conductivity, we write as a capital K. A big K, yeah. <laughs> and it's measured in meters per second of velocity. Okay. Now, the permeability is the conductivity times the viscosity divided by the density of the fluid times gravity. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you're getting a lot of dependence on your fluid. Right. Permeability so permeability. Permeability, but okay. Well, well, no. So the permeability is fluid dependent. So permeability equals conductivity times all of those things. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So permeability, is it gas? Is it brine? Is it water? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Conductivity, you say, this is the conductivity, and I'm going to multiply it by fluid properties. Yeah. There and that go. gives me the permeability for that fluid. Yeah. Yep. So you might say, well, why doesn't everybody just talk in hydraulic conductivity? Because it sounds snottier. <laughs> I mean, it is the fundamental <laughs> physical thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not what you care about most of the time. You care about how fast will oil flow yes. or how fast will water flow. Mm-hmm. So we save everybody the math. <laughs> oh, that's kind of funny. Yeah. Okay. But I... These were all things that came up in my candidacy exam. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, coming can, up with these relations from scratch, man, and you can derive those pretty, pretty easily. Now, I do have, you know, a pet, uh, pet peeve. Oh no, let's hear it. People always say Darcy's Law. <laughs> yes, they do. This one's on the edge for me. <laughs> It's based in physics. It's based on diffusion. Mm-hmm. It has units that work, which is more than you can say about a lot of other things that people call laws that aren't. Yeah. Hey, you leave, um, uh, leave Schnell out of this. What's your problem? <laughs> oh, no, that, that's physics. I know. I, I am fine with that. <laughs> I know. Um, there are some fudge factors in here, a little, though. Mm-hmm. Yes. But again, you know, it, 
Unless it is F equals MA, it's a relation. <laughs> well, Darcy's relation sounds like you're talking about his cousin or something. You get it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <clears throat> I, 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 I felt it. I knew you would have lots to say about Darcy's. <laughs> 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 this just seems right up your wheelhouse of um, <laughs> stuff that makes you cringe. <laughs> Okay, so now, <laughs> let's talk about some other terms that you'll hear people use. And I'm curious if you heard these in the energy industry. Okay. Absolute permeability. <sighs> Not so much. I feel like this is something my reservoir engineers talked about, but it wasn't on my radar. Intrinsic permeability. Yes. Specific permeability. No. Okay, those are all the same thing. Ah, okay, well, there we go. That's why. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> My reservoir engineer like to say intrinsic permeability. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's that's what it's, like, it's, like, it's like, why do we have <laughs> absolute, intrinsic, and specific, and oh they are the exact gosh. same thing? That's hilarious. Where does this, does this come from different, like, industries that use permeability? It, it has to. It has to, right? Yeah, because I know I've heard intrinsic before that's funny and so they they all are talking about some permeability value in a porous medium that is 100 percent saturated and the media that is saturating it must be a single phase fluid oh okay so that happens all the time in nature this is Totally, right. Totally so other than it. aquifers, yeah, <laughs> which are single phase fluids mm -hmm. and 100% saturating, uh, it doesn't really apply. Yeah, at all. If you've got mixed phase flow, if you've got gas flow, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's we're just going to call it permeability. Yeah. That's fine. Um, tensor permeability. Ooh. No. So tensor permeability is the direction sensitivity of permeability. The tortuosity. Sort of. So yeah, I know. <laughs> well, but think about like a fault. So you've got some country rock and then a fault breaks and starts uh, grinding up that rock. Mm -hmm. Yep. If you reach into the earth and pull out a sample, it is going to have a direction along which fluid can flow mm -hmm. along the fault. And in other directions, it's not going to flow so well. So we can describe that. That makes sense. And we've done this in the lab. We'll, we'll take big cubes of rock and we'll drill them, you know, straight down, across in X, across in Y, and we'll run three tests and we'll get the permeability in each of those directions. That makes sense. And it's really important because you might have, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, if you got... Um, coal bed methane or something mm -hmm. uh, you really care about how you're going to do your directional drilling to yes. make sure that you maximize the amount of gas or fluid that can get into the well mm -hmm. yeah a hundred percent yeah like you want to drill ac across and open up the direction that's low permeability yes as opposed to the opposite right <laughs> yeah if you open up the thing that's already permeable and yeah it's not permeable flowing in the direction of Cold towards the well. It. It's not very useful. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that's happened numerous times, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Yeah. So I did find some cutoffs, which I thought were funny. Okay. Uh, <laughs> in uh, permeability that were broken up into pervious, semi-pervious, <laughs> and impervious categories. Ah, I've never, ever taken the word im away from that. Yeah. <laughs> pervious, is that, is that real? <laughs> Oh, my God. Apparently. I mean, it has to be, but oh, my God. I've never heard somebody say, this formation is very pervious. <laughs> you haven't yet. Challenge accepted. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that is hilarious. <clears throat> I don't know what I would do if I heard that out loud. That's super funny. What you just did. <laughs> That's so true. I imagine saying that in class and everybody being like, what? Is that like the the name of the rock? Like, what is she saying? <laughs> You've right. heard of impervious. Um, this is like the uh, the three amigos, the infamous versus famous thing. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so pervious rocks, I imagine, are like mostly shattered or like gravel. Man, you you hit it on the head. Oh. So. <laughs> Uh, it's almost like I'm a geologist. <laughs> highly fractured for consolidated material. And for unconsolidated material, it's listed as gravel. Look at that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So a gravel would have a permeability of about 10 to the minus 7 square meters. Man, that's a, that's a lot of Darcy's. <laughs> as a matter of fact, that would be 10 to the 8th millidarcy's. <laughs> See, it's no better. You just change the sign and... The- that was lovely. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So now we get down into something that would be semi-pervious. <laughs> semi-pervious. Okay. Well, I mean, sandstone would have to be somewhere in this, I would think. If gravel yes. is pervious, the actual rocks should be semi-pervious to impervious. Yeah, so fresh sandstone and oil reservoir rocks are right. what they list. Well, yeah, because you'd never get a... Oh. Which are also known as sandstone. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, if you get a 10 to the minus 8 millidarcies, yeah. that's a... Yeah, that's going to... No, so 10 to the minus 8 millidarcies. No, I'm saying that that would put a lot of uh, money in your pocket, so most reservoir rocks are not that. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> Here you're looking at your sandstones, um, sorted sands and silts. Okay. So if you have a a soil that is some process deposited, a very well sorted, uh, think of it like a, a peaty soil. Mm-hmm. Or you could even uh, say like, well, okay, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so that'd be 10 to the minus 11 square meters. Okay. Uh or 10,000 millidarcies. This could be like sand that you would find like on the bottom of a riverbed or something like that. Yeah. And I can't believe, so 10,000 millidarcies, I can't believe some reservoir engineer doesn't call it 10 kilo millidarcies <laughs> just to drive me more insane. Oh, 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 you haven't read the literature yet, obviously. <laughs> it's out there. I'll find it for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 10 I love it. <clears throat> okay. I think that's a good show title right there. A hundred. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I was going to say 100%, but that's not quite as funny in this case. <laughs> um, all right. So you yeah. work so your way. Then, uh, <laughs> then you work your way down to the impervious materials. Mm, I imagine that. I don't know. Does, does shale go into impervious? I mean, it's got to be close. I would say it's um, it's on the semi-impervious impervious line. Okay. Or semi-pervious impervious line. There we go. Um <laughs> I, I would I would guess most shale something like ten to the minus fifteen, yeah. ten to the minus sixteen. Yeah, that's what I would. Meter squared. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they say impervious is from ten to the minus sixteen to ten to the minus nineteen meters squared, which would be point one to point oh 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 one or point one millimilidarcies. Point <laughs> <laughs> one millimilidarcies. Okay, uh, I'm glad you're speaking in a language I understand now. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, these are limestones, granites, things that things that aren't reservoirs. So when people hear that, maybe they're going to say, but aren't limestones reservoir rocks and producing rocks? Because they are. But Well, now they are. Well. <laughs> Not traditionally. <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, that's all stuff that is falls into diagenesis. So when you make a limestone at first, not a lot of permeability, not a lot of porosity either, but um, but all the stuff that happens to it makes it porous and permeable. So all the secondary stuff is what gives it that. Because you can have great producing limestones, but it's because they have all that weird porosity stuff we talked about last week happen to them. Right. You can yeah. fracture it or dissolve stuff out of it, all kinds of things. Right. Exactly. Buggy porosity. Um, we love that. Right. <laughs> now, I don't... So, in this distinction, I find it interesting because I don't know if I ever measured anything above 10 to the minus 15 in the lab. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. And, and I wasn't working on granites. I was just working on really well-compacted, fine-grained, clayey stuff. Well, I think that's the word that really does it in right there is clayey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, Latin, you know, the people that were working on reservoir rocks are those people that I said could come in and do an experiment with six steps in a day and go home and process yeah. the data and write the paper the next week. Whereas I'm sitting here for 75 days <laughs> waiting on <laughs> stuff to flow <laughs> through my clay. <laughs> so clays are plates. Um, as opposed to grains of sand or something like that, or even in granites where you've got, you know, some shape. But clays are these flat little plates, and they like to stack in things we call books, and that doesn't do anything for your porosity permeability. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it makes it, it very does. directional. Yes, <laughs> it makes it directional and very small. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't have, I, I wanted to look at directionality. <laughs> <laughs> of that uh of that till and for some reason nobody wanted me to use the pressure vessel after imagine that, that. <laughs> they're like it's from left to right move <laughs> right so uh if you are into that whole mathy tensor permeability thing a few fun facts uh so permeability is always symmetric in the tensor form and it's always positive, okay. which the positive part makes sense. The yes. symmetric part makes sense as well. Like we have yet to find a material that acts as a check valve. 
Right. So it's going to go both ways. Mm-hmm. Right. So if it flows north to south, it's going to flow the same south to north. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can calculate the eigenvectors for it, which people, you know, everyone gets scared when they hear the, the term eigenvectors. <laughs> I had a little PTSD, but it's not really that big a deal. This is just going to tell you the the direction that flow actually happens in the rock. Right. Um, which conveniently is going to be parallel to the pressure gradient for you. Mm, okay, there you go. Um, and what I love about this and love about all this, so I can measure X, Y, and Z direction permeability and do this calculation and suddenly figure out exactly the path that fluid is going to take in real life just by doing these three component measurements. Man, if everything were that simple. And, you know, the... Uh, I would say this idea of anisotropy of permeability, it's been around in the energy industry for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've tried to ignore it desperately in the fault <laughs> mechanics community for a while. I bet. <laughs> and it's been something that's not so ignorable in the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. I mean, in real world things, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and there's all kinds of arguments that you can make, uh, about how representative is a sample that's an inch in diameter of a reservoir. (sighs) It's like we (laughs) talked about last week, you know, it doesn't capture all the fractures that are running through the reservoir, but yeah, is that the scale that you care about? Uh, I know. I, I sigh because, I mean, this is the question that every master's and PhD student gets asked. Every single one that is doing <laughs> anything related to fluid flow. Well, you think even in rock mechanics, uh, I got all the time. Like, so you're working on a fault that's 100 by 100 millimeters. Mm-hmm, right. What bearing does that have on the San Andreas? <sighs> well, it's like, well, unless, unless you can you know build me a San Andreas. Exactly. we got to go with something here that's exactly right you're limited by the size of the building (laughs) so sorry (laughs) um and then there are all kinds of corrections in in a classic petroleum engineer fashion uh that folks have come up with over the years to try to talk about this right um Mm -hmm. and there's a pretty old but standard rig called a mini permeameter it's a gas permeameter device okay uh, that's been used in the energy industry for, gosh, probably since the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> it has, I, I know very little about it other than I love the name of the correction that you apply to it. Oh, no. Uh, because, so there, there's gas and all kinds of concerns about is the flow laminar and all these other things in this mini permeameter. Uh, so you do what's called the Klinkenberg correction <laughs> to those data. To try to be more representative of the reservoir. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you just like the, um, you just like the name? Yep. <laughs> um, and there's oh, lots of, it's great. actually pretty cool math. Like, you're solving it in a half space and all those fun, fun modeling things come into play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and actually, this correction... Uh, so I just looked up the citation for it, and the uh, correction was first published in 1941. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. That's great. So Klinkenberg's law is... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> At least they call it the correction. <laughs> the Klinkenberg relation. <laughs> Pretty sure that's a John Grisham novel, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, K man. is for Klinkenberg. Yep. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> that's Sue Grafton. These are very different genres, John. <laughs> We've got lots of good show titles in here. Oh, yeah, we sure do. Um, <laughs> we'll just have to, I don't know, keep talking about permeability for the next couple of weeks to get it all out. Or we don't talk about it at all and yet have 12 shows in a row with the word Milladarcy. <laughs> I, I believe you mean Kilo Milladarcy's. <laughs> oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I hate when my units get confuzzled. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I did... Oh, gosh. When <laughs> A while back, I did a problem, a meteorology problem, and just to be annoying, reported everything in terms of wind speed in... Knots? I think... <laughs> no, I'm trying to remember. I think the unit I chose was angstroms per nanosecond. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> because, and I'd have to look up and make sure I'm doing the math right on this, but I chose it because angstroms per nanosecond turned out to work out to the same thing as meters per second. second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, angstrom is 10 to the ninth, right? Yeah. But it was nice to make oh, people my uh, Lord. <laughs> do a second take. <laughs> uh, that's like... That's like the worst, like, dad scientist joke ever. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> it's true. Mm-hmm. Can we, can we, can we wrap this up now? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, th- I think we should. Uh, I think, in fact, that we should move on to everybody's favorite segment of the show. <laughs> Fun Paper Friday. So, the point being, if we just put you to sleep... <laughs> Be careful when you're driving tomorrow, right? <laughs> um. Right. So we all know sleep deprivation could lead to more accidents because you're not paying attention, your reflexes are slowed and everything. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if you've got something to stay awake for, say like a pretty good soccer match, maybe there's um, more accidents the next day. And this is what Yam et al. decided in Association of High-Profile Football Matches in Europe with Traffic Accidents in Asia, Archival Study. Yes. Uh, so I pulled this from the um, this year's BMJ Christmas edition, which was notably subdued due to the pandemic. Um, but still... An interesting read. And as always, the abstract is just delightful. Right. So they've got this nice abstract that has broken out the objectives, the design or methods, uh, participants exposure, main outcome, uh, results, conclusions. And in less than one page of text, you know mostly what you need to know about this paper. Unbelievable. I'm always so pleased to read these. (laughs) And I mean, okay, so this makes sense. And the point is, if there is a soccer match, and it's particularly like a really big game, if you're in Asia, and the focus of the study was in Singapore and Taiwan, then you have to get up in the middle of the night to watch it. And this was an interesting stat that it said that GMT plus eight is the most populous time zone. (laughs) I thought that was a really cool stat in here. And so, hmm, yeah. yep, 24% of the world's population lives in GMT plus eight. 
Hmm. Would have been a lot simpler if we made that just GMT there. But. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, white centric. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, if they have to get up in the middle of the night to watch us football, then the next day maybe they're sleep deprived, and they hypothesized that there would be more auto accidents because of it. Makes sense. So they pull a lot of traffic records. I thought it was interesting. So they they pulled two different data sets, right? They pulled mm-hmm. one from taxi drivers. Right. Uh, so those were very detailed records. They said this taxi company uh, kept meticulous records of weather and time and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then the other was just all accidents. Mm-hmm. And th- I think the only information they had on those was time. Right. But there were a lot more data there. Right. And then they did all kinds of fun statistics. So one of the things that I hadn't heard of was whitening. Was what? Whitening. They said they whitened their data. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't heard of that one before because I really glaze over these stats because, number one, I know you're going to talk about them, not me. (laughs) (laughs) And number two, you know, statistics. Um, Yeah, so they said they whitened their data. Is that, that's a thing? Well, so, uh, Mm -hmm. you can do some stuff to data (laughs) to Uh, help with analysis. I'm a paleomagnetist. You don't have to say this to me. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's something you do a lot with machine learning, actually. Okay. Uh, you also might hear it called sphering the data if it's in multiple dimensions. Oh, that makes uh, sense. Mm-hmm. You're basically just trying to apply a transform to it so that its covariant, or the covariance matrix is one on the diagonal. Oh, it's okay. identity. Okay. Uh, you've heard of white noise? Yep. Has that property. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. So there's not uh, any weird correlations and you don't wind up on that website. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's not a cure-all, but it's something that we pretty commonly do to pre-process data. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So they do this to the data. They do a bunch of stats on it. They're trying to control for things that they don't have any data on. Uh, <laughs> I, you don't know, with, with the exception of the taxi cabs, much about a lot of these accidents. And one of my thoughts was, well, what about the alcohol consumption Mm-hmm. That probably goes along with watching the game. Right. Okay. Uh, but they do their analysis anyway, and they decide, well, how are we going to control for the importance of the game? Because think about how many people watch... The Super Bowl versus a Monday the, Night Football game. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I know you needed help with those sports metaphors there. <laughs> I, I was trying to come up with teams, and I was grasping... <laughs> I was going to offend somebody real bad. Uh, uh, yeah, you were. Oh, man. You're probably going to make a Cleveland Browns joke, and I didn't realize that, you know. That's the one I was thinking of, <laughs> the little I know about sports ball, yes. Uh-huh, but, yeah, but they're really good now because they got this awesome OU quarterback, and, you know. Yeah. You're anyway. Gonna, you're going to mess it up, so I got you. <laughs> yeah. So they started looking at how many million euros is the market value of the match. These numbers so, are obscene, too. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> a thousand kilo million euros. Kilo million. Yeah, that's uh, obviously that's for FC Bar- Barcelona, which is not a surprise for anybody. <laughs> and okay, minor nitpick here. Every time they talk about million euros, they use a lowercase m. Mm-hmm. That's milli. Mm-hmm. Milli euros and million euros are very different things. <laughs> one buys you a soda, one buys you a soccer team. <laughs> right. So capitalization matters. <laughs> anyway. Oh. Um, so they get to the figure one where they've got these plots of average market value of the game and number of daytime traffic accidents. Mm-hmm and number of nighttime traffic accidents, with the idea that the daytime ones would be the ones where we'd see the effect because people stayed up watching the game, and now they're tired. Right. Right. That makes sense. Now, what do they see? I don't know. This just looks like a cluster to me. They say there's a trend. Mm -hmm. Um, R-squared values, if that means anything to you, are (laughs) on the order of 0.1. 0.1. Yeah, exactly. This is... It looks like a shotgun blast. And not it even... passes some statistical tests. <clears throat> barely, but some. <laughs> barely, but some. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I, I am not convinced either way. Because you can look out on a thousand million euro match and you can find a day that had the same number of accidents where there were no games played. yeah mm-hmm. exactly there are a lot more days where there are no games played mm-hmm. than there are days where there are hundred a big time a thousand yeah. euro matches yeah so you've got a sampling problem mm-hmm. uh i think without more data I don't know that I could be convinced either way. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have to deal with trends in the data. Like, forget about the soccer games or football games. You're going to have an increasing number of accidents probably because of more people becoming of age to drive and your aging population and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. This seems like, yeah. This, it's a really good idea. But the data are not convincing that it's a thing, that it, that it's a correlation. Also, there are probably going to be more people traveling on days where there are big games because they want to go hang out with their buddies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the accident rate may be higher because of that. And they acknowledge all of this in the paper. They're not trying yes. to sweep this under the rug. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I love that it's like, you know, that's a good idea. Let's write this up. <laughs> Even right. if it didn't work. <laughs> Just to be like, this. I feel like this is a, this is a perfect... Um, example of what should be in, like, the Journal of Null results, right? Yeah, like, there's something here, but we don't really know why. Yeah, and it's a very but well... But here's an idea. Yeah, and it's a very well, you know, planned and and executed study. But, eh. <laughs> you know. Now, I, I will say, the one thing they did that... Uh, I would never in a million years, I might do this and think, oh, that's kind of an interesting number, but I certainly wouldn't write it down, is they try to assign a dollar economic impact value. (laughs) Yeah. 
Which seems super dangerous because somebody that works for an insurance company yep. is going to find this paper and see that number and not look at anything else <laughs> and make policy decisions based on that. Oh, gosh, that's so true. As a researcher, you are somewhat responsible to make sure that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to be the case that all of your readers uh, dutifully follow through your methods and caveats. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, only reading conclusions and abstracts. That is correct. Uh, that's a right. terrible thing. I hadn't thought about that. I haven't had enough insurance dealings like you have probably. Well, that's <laughs> the thing, you know, I've always this. told, uh, <laughs> always told my employees, like, if you want to become paranoid, own a business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. As you're holding their hand when they walk into the building so they don't trip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, lovely. Well, it was an interesting paper nonetheless. <laughs> it was. So if you've got a study on your accident rates and driving habits based on football games or anything else, really, we'd love to see that data. Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin. Uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping us doing these great shows about Millicilla Darcy's. <laughs> oh wait. Um you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash don't panic geo. And even though scientists are still to try, trying to determine the permeability of our brains, <laughs> until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.